Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast, and it's game week. We're going to be talking about actual college football here on the show. We got a good one for you today. We didn't have uh, Coach Harvey Hyde on early in the week because we had him on late last week with Colin Cowherd. It was a very popular show, so thanks for all the feedback and comments you sent uh, for that. Hope you enjoyed it. We had Colin in studio. Today we have Keely Yor in studio. Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. We got Dan Weber on the line. We're going to be talking about, of course, the USC Trojans opening the much anticipated, highly anticipated 2019 football season. Lots to get to today. Want to say tell everyone if you want to send us a question or a comment, anything like that, you can do that via email. You can still use that podcast at USC Football. Dot com Or if you'd like to call us or text us, we got texts, we got voicemails today. The number is 424-254-9141. As always, please leave us positive feedback, five-star ratings. All that stuff is great on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can consume the podcast. If they accept ratings, please give us something good. Share the show with your friends. Tell people around, hey, football season, you want to know what's going on? Tell them to listen to the Peristyle Podcast. We do appreciate that. And we appreciate Keely Yor being in studio. She's a super stud star for us here at uscfootball.com. What's up, Keely? Hello, hello. A superstar stud. That's a, a nice compliment. Everyone I- everyone I talk to keeps saying, uh, you know, you probably Keely's not going to stick around much longer. You know, so <laughs> they're like, oh, she's going to be on the NFL Network or something. Dan, I know you've heard that too. Oh, that's, that's all I hear. Uh, they they want to know, uh, where's Keely? Uh, if they, if anybody around to say, where's Keely? Is Keely around? <laughs> Can I say hi to Keely? Uh, so yeah, I, I, am, I get that a lot. Yeah. I, I will say though, I was walking during our little break that we have now at, at practice. I was walking from Starbucks back to the media room and a student on their bike was biking by really fast and just went instant analysis <laughs> and just kept biking. And I was like, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But okay. I'm excited. It's game yeah. week, guys. There's finally going to be a game yeah. on Saturday. A g- game week. We get a little, little bit of routine, get to go to practice, not watch, but go to practice, check things out, uh, interview players, talk to the coaches. Killy mentioned instant analysis. Make sure you check it out. There was some news that was going on uh, you know, at this past few days since we've done a show last. Jack Sears uh, entering the transfer portal. He's not going to be out of practice anymore. Getting those you know, fourth string reps that he was getting, which just seems baffling to me, but whatever, you know, he's not going to be around there. Solomon Tuyalapupu, he's going to be out for the season as well. So that foot problem persists. Was it, he got a, a plate put in a there? Steel now? plate, yeah. Steel plate, that doesn't sound very fun. Um, you know, Port Augustine missed like four days when he got a steel plate put in his foot. So I'm, I'm just saying Solomon Tuyalapupu. No, he's, got, he's had a problem since high school, so they want to really do a good job uh, to take care of that. But so kind of the bigger... News items. Uh, Jaden Williams uh, did get his waiver approved, so there was some sort of academic thing there. So he's a you know incoming uh, freshman DB, so he'll be around. Uh, he'll be eligible to play. Still no update on Brew McCoy. 
Um, Keely, maybe get your thoughts on any of the the breaking news that was, you know, the uh, breaking news from the past couple days. Yeah, I mean, Dan's always on watch uh, before practice, and he was had the eye to say, hey, Jack Sears hasn't come out yet. And then right around that time, we got word from Jack Sears himself when he posted a statement about how he's going to enter the transfer portal. Uh, it was a well-written statement. Um, you just you kind of feel bad for, just like Max Brown, Jack Sears, just because you know that he, he gave his all in this competition both times. Um, but uh, Clay Helton did say that Jack had the option to still practice with USC and be in the transfer portal, but uh, Sears elected to uh, focus on his studies and, and make sure he's taking the necessary visits and talking with coaches to go to the next spot. Um, but as Dan and I said in instant analysis, we won't be surprised if Jack Sears killing it at some other school next year just because he always had that talent it was just the consistency and what these coaches wanted from Sears versus what they want from the offense that didn't always match up so we you know we wish Sears the best you always wish for these players to be successful no matter where they are so just uh news about that and then like you said Jaden Williams did get uh cleared by the NCAA still waiting on on Bruce waiver and that's interesting so we're, we're working on that yeah what about you Dan any any thoughts on all the uh... The little newsy stuff that we. I don't know. The more the more we hear about Brew McCoy, I don't. I mean, I think apparently from what you're hearing at other schools, there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, it's not just submitting a, a a waiver request and then the NCA rules on it. It sounds like they go back and forth and back and forth, asking all kinds of questions and what have you. I don't even get the sense that that it's completely finished at all with USC. I mean, Clay said they're taking their time and being, you know, very thorough and, and, and it certainly doesn't look like they're uh, pushing it or that they have any feeling that, you know, this might happen this year. And so I don't think Brew uh, felt that. I don't think uh, USC feels that. So, so I don't think that even is on the radar for, for anybody here. As far as, uh, as far as Jack's concerned, you know, I think, uh, it wouldn't be all that shocking to see him uh, in Arizona. I know Herman Edwards was impressed with him um, in the Arizona State game last year and spent a lot of time talking to him after the game. And now Arizona State's got a, a new freshman quarterback that they decided to go with. But uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see how that works. But I just think there is a place for somebody like Jack in an offense that really would like their quarterback to take off and run with the ball. And uh, and allows him to kind of play a little hero ball and, and throw it down the field and just see what happens. And uh, so I do think there are places where he's exactly what they'd be looking for. So uh, again, you could see him at, at the Coliseum next year. I think I think there's always that that chance. It's the perfect situation if you're going to transfer as a quarterback. Uh, you graduate in uh, December. You at your new school in January, you've got all spring practice and two full seasons of eligibility. I mean, that's a big deal uh, for quarterbacks. Uh, I think one of the things that makes people nervous about a grad transfer quarterback is often they have just one year to play at their new school. But to get a quarterback who could play for two years and you get spring ball out of him is, is absolutely perfect. So uh, I, I do think it's smart for him to take his time and consider all the options that are going to come his way. We think uh, this uh, this fall. Yeah, no, smart for him. He's a he's a great kid. You wish him uh, nothing but the best. Very glowing statements from uh, Clay Helton during his you know post practice 
media scrum and of course uh jack's statement as keely mentioned uh all good stuff there so make sure you check that out and uh you know we'll see maybe we'll see him in the coliseum next year uh actually playing so that would be that would be kind of fun before we jump into talking about fresno state a little bit and uh answering all of your questions just want to thank our sponsor trader joe's if you're going to the coliseum these next couple weeks you're going to tailgate make sure you go by the usc village trader joe's pick up anything you need it's amazing to have something right there with cool stuff you want to get wine cheese uh cool beers there's all kinds of great stuff there and i mentioned this last week i had to do a little research on this the chocolate hummus that my wife like uh, catfished me with where i didn't know that i was eating hummus i thought i was just eating chocolate um so they actually did a write-up on traderjoes.com you can check it out so um you know normally hummus is more of a savory kind of dish they have a lot of different hummuses uh, at trader joe's they actually used one of the same vendors that provide some of their other uh hummus uh there but this one so basically they swap out the savory for sweet uh, it's, you know, it's made with cooked chickpeas and all that, like you normally would with hummus, but instead of putting like garlic or roasted peppers or eggplant or some of the typical mix-ins you get with a hummus, they actually put in, uh, cane sugar, cocoa and uh, natural flavor in there. And now you get this chocolatey hummus and, uh, it's still, uh, you know, it's still pretty healthy. It's, I think it's 50 calories, uh, one and a half grams of fat per for a two tablespoon serving. So something to check out. Now I probably ate a couple more than two tablespoons. <laughs> uh, and like I said, I ate the whole thing, but I ate a lot of it. But you know, they they show it with like apples and strawberries, which we used. We all put some bananas in there, but they use banana chips that you can buy at Trader Joe's too. So you know, check it out. It's definitely it's a little healthier, and it's chocolatey, which I like. I like the sweetness. So you you don't have a sweet tooth, Keely. Oh, uh, I kind of do. But yeah. I, I do like carbs better than, than sugar. Is that weird? I mean, same thing. But oh. like bread, I'd rather go like pastry status. Real Okay. Yeah. Pastry that stuff. Oh, that's yeah. good. Um, awesome. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks to Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been great to us over the last couple of years. Let's get into this Fresno State game a little bit. Right. But before we do, oh, I, okay. I, I wanted to follow up. I Just to follow up on the whole Jack Sears thing. Sure. Uh, and how well it went for USC in a week, uh, the opener week, where it could have been divisive. It could have been ugly. It could have been, you know, there could have been acrimony and all that kind of thing. And if you don't think that's possible, look what happened at Washington with uh, when, you know, they started out last spring with five quarterbacks who they, you know, boy, these guys are really good. I think two of them have transferred. The third wanted to transfer in the spring. That was, uh, uh, this, uh, Peter Sermon's, uh, nephew, I guess. They talked him into staying. And then the two guys who battled it out, Jacob Eason, I wish I could think of the other kid's name from Idaho. Uh, and they named Eason as the quarterback, uh, like two days ago. And the other kid says, I'm out of here. This isn't fair. They didn't treat me right. The heck with this place. So now they're down to one quarterback and a guy who tried to transfer last spring when he was 15. So uh, they're holding their breath, and this is probably not a great development for a, a program like Washington. But uh, USC probably need, should get some credit, everybody involved at USC, with how this went down with, uh, with Jack Sears. This was handled at every level by everybody really well, and it, it didn't have to go down that well, and it really did. Yeah, I know there's a lot of criticism for Clay Helton, the way he does things, but the way he handled – the Jack, uh, the Jack Sears situation, as you mentioned, but Brew McCoy, 
it could have been a scorched earth policy when uh, Brew McCoy left the program. Like, that was unprecedented. And Clay Helton didn't do that. And now he's back. Uh, same thing with Chris Steele, you know, long time commit and all that. Um, he kept, he didn't burn any bridges. He kept those doors open. And some of the fans were like kind of complaining that he did, wasn't taking a harder stance. But now you get those guys back in there. So he, it was almost a way to save like a, you know, the subpar recruiting class by getting those guys back. You know, everyone has different policies. Um, you know, you leave Utah, you're out. Like you're just, you know, there's different programs where if you leave, you're gone. Clay Houghton kept that door open and allowed that to, to happen. So, uh, and Matt Fink was in the transfer portal and he's back too. Otherwise that'd be, they'd be down to two yeah. uh, scholarship yeah. quarterbacks. So well, Clay was even asked about quarterback depth, considering that they got to their third string quarterback last season. Do you think that's a concern at all though? Now that you have only three scholarship quarterbacks on, on the depth chart? I think it's pretty common now uh, in college yeah. like yeah. dan said like you're gonna have two sometimes. Enough. yeah you can't i think two is two is really chris peterson is going to be holding his breath at washington i mean he that's uh that's scary but uh but three you've got a chance although like last year usc uh you know loses two guys in one game and luckily jack sears was there last year so uh but you better have three who can play yeah uh, you need three. And then what is it, last year, wasn't there like one of the walk-ons wasn't even practicing. And so you got, I mean, I think you got to make sure like if you only have three that there's a, you know, there's a walk-on that's getting those reps that Jack Sears would get, whatever minimal reps they were, yeah. uh, get those involved too. But just, I mean, that's an emergency thing. But if you're down to that point, you have you bigger know, problems. You're, there's, there's some problems going yeah. on there. Uh, well, let's talk a little Fresno State. I mean, the the storyline, if you don't know anything about Fresno State, which some of you might not, um, Jeff Tedford takes over in 2017. Uh, the team had only won one game the year before, which is not a lot if you want to, you know, you're trying to win football games like one, and it was like Sacramento State. You know, it was not, it was not an FBS school. Um, so Tedford takes over, and they instantly win ten games the next year. And then, you know, last year. They win 12 games, win the Mountain West, uh, beat, I think it was Arizona and UCLA, or Arizona State and UCLA. Uh, they beat two yep. teams that USC, no, it's Arizona State and UCLA, I believe, right? Uh, two teams that yep. USC Correct. lost to. Or did they beat Cal? I forget what it was, but two teams no, that, that USC right. lost to last UCLA year. UCLA and Arizona State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fresno State beat those teams. So you could argue you know a 5 and 7 USC team was not as good as the 12 and 2 Fresno State team that we saw last year but this team does lose a ton of production if you follow the S&P plus it's like one of the wor- like they they've lost more than just about anybody uh in the, in the you know in FBS so a lot's going to be gone you lose offensive coordinator court you know i think only three starters are back uh, on offense but you still have Jeff Tedford there who took a team that was pretty terrible and made him turn around. So I'm not as concerned about, yeah, there's going to be some production lost. Uh, Dan, maybe get your thoughts initially on this Fresno State squad that USC is going to be facing off. Well, I mean, I, I don't think anybody's ever done a better job than, than, than Tedford. I think there's, they hold some kind of a record for a team that had double-digit losses one year and then comes back and has double-digit wins the next two seasons. I don't know, like, if anybody's almost ever done that. So you can't say enough about uh, about the job he did. And when you watched them last year, that was a really good football team. I mean, they, uh, I don't know, they could have been in a championship game if they were in the Pac-12. Uh, and so 
you look at it this year, I just don't, I don't get the sense when you see what's happening at Fresno that they really believe that they're in that same place at all that they were last year. Uh, and I, I just hear this sinking suspicion that it's interesting. They get a home game the following week uh, against Minnesota. And I just hear a feeling that they're going to probably not necessarily think that if USC is USC, again, that has to be determined. If this is a real USC team, I know Tedford talked about that, but if this is a real USC team, it's probably going to be a, you know, a tough way to go for Fresno. But I think they can say, well, but we're going to get Minnesota the next week, uh, that kind of thing. I think one of the other tough things is Tedford, with all the good teams he's had uh, at uh, Cal, uh, he's never won a game at the Coliseum. Here's a, here's, here's a guy who could have probably certainly ridden his bicycle uh, from where he grew up. Uh, I guess it was Downey uh, to the Coliseum, and he's never won a game there. And so, you know, obviously that's going to be a, a big motivation, but I just don't see them having the, uh, the athletes or the experience or, you know, have a finished product uh, that in, in game one, if USC comes out firing, if they come out and look like the team that we've seen in, in practice and look like the team that has by one ranking, still the fourth best roster in the country by another ranking, the sixth best roster in the country. If they play anywhere close to that, uh, they should be in, in pretty good shape. But, you know, we saw last year too. They were, you know, we saw five and seven, and we can't get away from that in a lot of ways. Uh, so making predictions on how USC is you know, going to match up, uh, we have to see it, I think, at this point. Uh, I know I was thinking about how do you pick USC, and I always think I figure out if I were coaching this team, how would they do? <laughs> and then you have to probably factor in like what happened last year. I mean, you know, people were coaching the team that you know, that just let it be five and seven. Uh, and so you have to get past that. It it looks like they have gotten past it in a lot of ways, but it's been, it's been nine months. As they say, long nine months. You're not supposed to say long nine months. Nine months is nine months. It's just seemed very long yeah. uh, off season. Yeah, we're ready for some real actual football. Like, I, I don't need any more questions about what's it going to take to get Clay Helton fired on, you know, it's just like, we, we're going to watch the game and we're going to know a lot more. Like, how'd they look against Fresno? Oh, they looked amazing? Yeah, you know, there's less of a chance. If they look like crap, oh, there's a pretty good chance, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll probably know a lot. We're going to actually have, uh, you know, probably, this is, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday because I was, uh, took a couple of days in uh, Palm Springs, you know, to decompress before, the season starts, so we're doing this a little bit later than we normally do. But on Thursday, we're probably going to have uh, – well, we're definitely going to have a Fresno State preview in-depth with uh, Jackson Moore, uh, who's the publisher for the Barkboard. Long time. It's been a huge site that's been covering Fresno State forever. I actually was the publisher of that site for a while uh, back in the day. And, uh, yeah, I, I actually – Handed it over to Jackson Moore, who was working. He was actually working for me for a little while, and he was working on the site even before I took it over. So um, he's he's great. He does a really good job. Lives up in the Fresno area, so we'll get a lot of good insight uh, from him. And uh, I wanted to get a little insight from you, Keely. What are your thoughts? Anything uh, anything stick out to you? Kind of 
checking this match out out. I mean, like Dan said, I think it's the interesting thing is you, you don't want to count against Jeff Tedford's coaching ability. We know that he's a great coach, but it's game one. And this is a team that just doesn't have the experience or the starters that they had last season. They lose eight on offense, five on defense, and they have a quarterback who only had eight completions last year when he was the backup. So I just don't think that this is a, a team that's going to be firing on all c- cylinders for USC to face. Now, granted, this is a USC team that we don't really know much about yeah. From what we've seen last year. And we don't even know how many cylinders the USC has because they're, they're never firing anywhere near all of them. Yeah. Exactly. And like, and just uh, five, they had five. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is even doing predictions for USC this season, it's so hard when, when you haven't seen them play at all. I just don't know what this team, we know what they can be and what they should be, but what they will be is a different answer, you know? Yeah. So if USC does what they're supposed to do and takes care of business and, and focuses on themselves, like they keep telling us when we ask them about this season and whatnot, then they, this should be a win for USC, obviously. But I, I'm hesitant. You know, I want to see what USC does to before I really make bold predictions on that front. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I would, it's, say uh, that, I would say that I would say this. They had the best Tuesday post-practice we've ever seen or heard because they kept saying, things that we've kept we've been saying forever that it's about you it's about usc it's uh, about graham harrell saying uh be us be us uh if you just said that last year they'd have looked at you and said well, what the hell does that mean be <laughs> us. What, what what are us you know what are, who are we what are we doing uh and and it was consistent to everybody you talked to and for example, Kelly uh, noted that Clay didn't do his, uh, you know, normal Tuesday rundown of the opponent. He just didn't even, I don't think he even mentioned a word about Fresno uh, that I can recall. I think he and, just said uh, we're facing add, Fresno on Saturday, which is like. That's it. Yeah. 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 And, and when you talk to the players, I think Michael Pittman said, oh, you know, we, we respect them, but it's not about them. It's about us. Uh, who else? Uh, everybody we talked to basically said. You know, I think I guess it was uh, JT said, "Yeah, you know, we'll we'll scheme a little bit for him, but that's not what we're doing. That's not where the focus is. The focus is on us being as good as we can be, and uh, that's just music to your ears. Having gone through the last couple of years, where it didn't look like they knew who they were or what they were trying to do or how they were trying to do it, and uh, you know, just kind of looked at one another like, what are we supposed to be doing here?'" Yeah. You don't hear that at all. I do like that. I like. I mean, I didn't have an issue with going through and talking about who Fresno State's backup fullback was during the, the media scrum, but not really even acknowledging it where he's like, hey, you know, we're watching film. We're, we're doing what we need to do, but it's really going to be about what we do. And I think especially for an opponent like Fresno State where you're going to have a talent advantage and you're going to have a talent advantage just about almost against everybody. Um, I like that. I like that attitude and, uh, we'll see how that translates on the field. You know, maybe they were worrying too much about every opponent and you're worried about like, you know, Cal or Arizona. And it's like, yeah, just do what you do, do it well. So, uh, I like it, Dan. We'll, we'll see if, uh, if that pays dividends. Um, right. That's the way to go. Yeah. Well, why don't we, how about this? We'll take a real quick break and we'll come back and we'll answer all of your questions. I got a, there's a lot of them. So back in one minute. (music) 
All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Talk a little Fresno. Like I said, we'll have more in-depth on Fresno State tomorrow, get more of a feel for what that program is like. Jackson Moore does a great job covering that team for the Bark Board. But let's answer your questions. We got a bunch of them, Keely, it looks like. You know, we always seem to. But uh, we'll jump in. We don't really call it like people. Some people call it a mailbag. Or so. I just said, oh, we're going to answer your questions. So um, there's people don't even know what a mailbag is. Like, you know, it's the, the postman carried around yeah. a bag like with mail in it. Like you just get emails and stuff all the time. It's all mail electronic. Mail is still now. a thing, Ryan. Mail, I'm aware the, of that. Snail mail. Okay. I didn't know if you millennials know that stuff. If yes. You, do I do you, know what mail is. Do you, if you had to mail a letter, do you have the equipment at your house to do that? I learned this week that you can buy stamps on Amazon. So how's that for news? Right. But that's not answering my question. Like, <laughs> what? Yes. Do you have envelopes at your house? I do. I used to have to send in my, my rent old-fashioned. Oh, okay. So there you go. And you have some stamps and everything. Not currently, but yes. Okay. I did it. So you could not. I do know how to mail, right? If there yet. was a zombie apocalypse and you had to mail something out before, like you couldn't go outside, you couldn't actually I have bigger do. problems than mailing, That's Ryan. true. All right. Well, let's jump into the mailbag or the questions. And uh, I don't where do you want to start, Keely? Andrew Hogue has a question. I'm not sure if he's trolling or not, but he says, were you shocked to hear that JT Daniels was named the starter? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to get the... Uh, the tone. On the, over email. Hey, if you guys send us a question that's sarcastic, put sarcasm in quotes. Right. If, you know, if this was handwriting, if this was snail mailed in, maybe we could tell from the handwriting, but this is all typed. So maybe. I don't know, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't think we were shocked, Dan. You were probably not shocked. No, not at all. No, I mean, there was only one way to go, especially if they factored in all 30 practices. And and you, you tried to keep telling people, the people who got really excited about every time Jack Sears took off and scrambled and, you know, showed what kind of athlete he is. And you were trying to tell them that's not a good thing. That's a black mark in this offense not what they want they want a guy who quickly finds that open receiver they do not want um the guy who quickly decides i gotta take off and go and and go no matter how well he does that that's not uh that's not a a plus in their eyes so i think the standards that they were using consistency and production were not the things that uh uh that were happening with uh, with Jack or with, with any of the other quarterbacks. Uh, they just like the highs and lows. You had a little bit of that uh, two veterans. And then Keaton Slovis, the freshman, who played so steady and so well in practice, the point where in the two scrimmages, it looked like he kind of ran out of gas. That there was, uh, he was a freshman. And so it kind of left, you know, no other no other choice. I mean, JT is is built for this offense with his quick arm, and he and he sees the field uh, well, and he's got 11 starts. You know, and he he's a kid. What did he have? 27 or 31 completions in the first half against Notre Dame team that was heading for the playoffs last year. Uh, it was it would have been almost impossible, I think, to go any direction but JT. Yeah. 
On a similar note, you mentioned the 11 starts. Uh, Mike from Full Shear, Texas, class of 86, says, There's been a lot of talk on the various USCFootball.com podcasts about the advantages JT should have after 11 starts last year. If that experience didn't allow him to pull away from other QBs in this year's scrimmages and the fall showcase, why so much confidence that it will help in the regular season? I mean, separation... How do you separate uh, from, say, a Matt Spank, who was 18 of 22 in the two scrimmages uh, with three touchdown passes uh, and, and ran for a touchdown? Uh, and the one scrimmage, Jack, was 20 of 22. Uh, that's not, that, the offense really uh, uh, improved all these guys' ability uh, to run it. And I, I don't disagree with them when they say all, all four of them you know, could run it. I think all four of them, you'd have a chance in a lot of games. Uh, you know, to win the game. So I think uh, I think it's a, a false premise to say, well, JT didn't separate himself. I think in a lot of ways he did. If you're looking at total production in 30 uh, practices, if you're looking at uh, consistency in 30 practices, he separated himself. I think I don't think there's any question. They said uh, everybody that had a vote had had Jack is number one in all the all the or JT number one in all the categories that mattered. So, uh, so I think you might be overreading things into how close it was. But they wanted it to be competitive. They liked it that Keaton was way better than they expected him to be, and that Jack and Matt were both really improved. So, I don't I don't disagree with Clay when he said he's never had a situation, and I think when he says he's never had. He's probably never seen one. I don't know that I have where you have four quarterbacks who got as much work and did as well as they all four did. Um, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So, so I don't think it was a bad thing that, uh, that they all played well. And, and I do think JT did separate himself. Yeah. Mike has one more question for us. He says, regardless of how this season goes, can we please quit talking about how JT looked in high school or practice? All I care about is if he can lead the team to wins. He says, I love all your shows and fight on Mike from Full Shear, Texas. Um, well, you know, some of the time, all you've got is practice. Uh, practice really matters. And, you know, that's all we've had for, for nine months. Uh, so uh, practice Practice is really important, and, and another guy from Texas, Graham Harrell, uh, talks about practice a lot because he thinks how they practice is how they're going to play. And I think we saw that last year. If you listen to us last year, when we talked about how they practiced, we didn't think it boded, boded well for how they were going to play. So I think practice matters uh, a lot, and I'll be, I'll be shocked if there's a big disconnect between how they practice and, and how they play. We haven't seen them. The last two weeks, or whatever, 10 days, and, and you know, we'll have gone two weeks without actually seeing them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practice. But, uh, but I, I think they've set the template um, that they're not going to change that much. It's going to be more physical than it was last year, going to be more in pads than it was last year. They're going to be tackling more than they did last year. Is it enough? That's what that's what the game determined. But uh, I think practice really, really matters. All right, let's. Uh, we're going to do a voicemail question. I mentioned that we had uh, Colin Cowherd on the show last week. I wouldn't say he painted a rosy picture. If you want to go back and listen to that, um, doesn't 
doesn't have a lot of faith in this USC coaching staff I get to kind of sum it up. But I'm going to play this uh, for you from Curtis, who does not agree with Colin. I think we have an email or two that, that's the same. Yes, yeah, so I'll read an email out to this voicemail All as right, well. So we'll, we'll play the voicemail, read the email, and then we'll get uh, everyone's thoughts. Here you go. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. I'm calling about your interview with Colin Bear USC football before the season starts, Cowherd. Please play that interview for the whole team every week. They'll get really mad. I want to hit somebody now. He said we would be fun, but what does that mean? It sounds like some girls I know that don't know how to play football. The game was fun. He said we are one injury away on the defensive front from disaster. He doesn't know we're the deepest in the defensive front as we've been in years. He said that where are our, our Leonard Williams is? He doesn't know we have a freshman that they're comparing to Leonard Williams. He said Clemson was named to score against us. Oh my gosh. He said our recruiting class this year was weak but we will have several true freshmen with playing time this year. And he didn't mention that we have more talent than any team in the Pac-12. Then when you begged him to say something positive about USC, at one point he said, you could go 3-0, and but you wouldn't be perfect. Oxymoron alert, undefeated is perfect, Kyle Hurd. Let's take off the oxy and just leave the moron for him. Curtis from Moreno Valley. That's some spice from Curtis. Yeah. I think yeah. I think Good Howard one, said offensive line. Wow. Didn't he say offensive line instead of defensive line? Yeah, I think he was talking about. Well, he might have mentioned Leonard Williams too. But if you're going to say like, well, Drake Jackson is going to be Leonard Williams, like he hasn't even played a down yet. So I mean, I don't disagree with a lot of what Colin was saying. I mean, there's. There's potential for this team to turn things around, but well, yeah. hold on. Before we get yeah. into that, uh, we have a question from Steve USC class of '97 who says, "Last week on the podcast, Colin Cowherd mentioned that after the first six games, we know the direction of the USC football program. Do you agree? And what are your predictions for the first six games?" Um, I, mean, I think it's interesting. I, Colin, I think over the years has been really well versed in USC football and recruiting, and would come to practice. I think he kind of is maintained sort of an arm's length uh, uh, distance this year. Uh, I think he got burned last year by liking the talent and not realizing, uh, you know, what could happen, which we all saw uh, that happened. I think Colin kind of is uh, is very, you know, really knows what he's talking about. A really smart guy, but he may tend to to get people to listen to you. You kind of you can't walk down the middle of the road. You kind of got to go one way really strong or the other way really strong. I think this time he's going the other way really strong until he sees differently. And you know, if you've got most of the same people in charge that were in charge last year, it's a hard, it's hard to convince somebody that what they saw last year isn't going to carry over uh, enough this year to be a real problem. But uh, so I can't, I can't fault uh, Colin for, uh, uh, for not not liking this team. Hey, he liked Steve Sarkeesian as as a coach coming in here. Thought that was a you know home run hit, and uh, and we all know you know kind of how that how that went. It's really hard to start figuring out 
uh, for somebody, we see them every day. We're not sure. You know, we see them not as much as we saw them last year, but you're not sure what's going to happen. It's asking a lot for a guy like Colin uh, to really have a feel for how this team is going to go. And it, it would be really easy to say, man, I saw them last year. That was the fourth best roster, and they won five games, and they might have been lucky to win five. So uh, until something happens differently, I think USC's going to have to work on somebody like Colin. But the first six games, they have the perfect opportunity to do that. That's why for those who say, oh, that first six games, nobody plays any tougher than that, and my thought is, it's a great opportunity to tell people you're back and to tell yourself you're back. Uh, you get the first two games at home, respectable uh, opponents who you ought to be able to compete with. <clears throat> you go to Brigham Young. Again, you take it seriously. You really go after that one and, and figure out a way to compete on a road that you haven't, haven't in the past other than one time. Uh, and then you're, you know, you're three and oh, you get um, uh, Utah in what may be the game of the year in the Pac-12 South, certainly, uh, on a Friday night at the Coliseum. I think that all is that all benefits USC. So now you're through the first four games, and USC's in a pretty good place with those. And now you got to go to Washington. The last time they were there, USC showed up. USC's talent showed up, and people fought against the playoff Washington team. Uh, and people realized, hey, USC's got better players. If they both play up to their, you know, talent level, USC wins. So I don't know where you where you leave that game. And then they've got a bye, and then they go to Notre Dame. And I think Notre Dame lost more from that, you know, their playoff team last year than than USC lost from the, the team they put on the field. And uh, you know, could have had a made that a really good game. For all intents and purposes, it was a pretty good game. Again, USC's got to figure out how to do it on the road, you know, how to do the you know, walkthroughs and when you get there and all of that. They have it yet. Uh, so that makes it tough for those, uh, the back-to-back uh, uh, road games against Washington and Notre Dame. USC figures out some things. You know, they've got the talent. Yeah, they uh, the talent is there. I don't... Like I said, I don't disagree with a lot of what Colin said. I think there's just more of a realistic point of view. If uh, Curtis, if you really think that an undefeated season is like realistic, I, I mean, they're talented. They are, the, you know, it's the most talented roster in the Pac-12 still. Um, but there's there's a lot of shortcomings there too. So you just, I mean, I I, I get it. I think it's one of those things where does USC come out and they start off three and zero. And then you're like, okay, this looks like a real team. You know, it does like, like it looks like they're playing much closer to their potential. And even if you lose to like Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame, it's still like, all right, they beat Stanford, you beat BYU on the road, you beat Fresno State. Like, that's pretty good. You know, I mean, that's not, they're at least making progress from where they were last year, but it could go any direction. We just, we just don't know. But Colin's not very positive on it, as you know. Yes. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that this team can afford, and these coaches can afford to just make progress. They have to be where they're supposed to be, and that's asking a lot for a team that was five and seven. And a coaching staff that still half of them are, you know, still here. A couple of them are in, in the correct position, you know, places to be coaching. But uh, uh, 
I think that, that won't suffice. I think they've got to do better than that. I think they've really got to uh, they got to make up for last year. I don't think they can just make slow progress. I think they've got to really come out and uh, and play fast and physical and up to their uh, up to their talent levels. I don't think anything else is is going to satisfy anybody. And uh, if they don't, they aren't going to be here. Uh, so this is not a year where they can make uh, you know gradual um, slow progress. That ain't gonna that ain't gonna work. That's not gonna fly. No. Well, Steve has a second question that kind of relates to that. He says, what is more important to Clay Hilton's future as USC's head coach, the team's win-loss record, or whether Lynn Swan is still the AD? Thanks as always, and fight on, Steve. Ooh. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I don't think Lynn Swan matters here. I mean, he might – if Lynn Swan, let's say, extended him or saved him or whatever – I don't think that's going to help them this year one way or the other. I mean, I, I think it might be more of a negative uh, if you've given somebody a, a chance. But I think the chances, Lynn's one, I would guess, is on a hotter seat than Clay is, which is, seems, is that possible? Uh, and so I don't even know if uh, Clay's future will be determined, you know, by Lynn. I, I just, you know, the sense you get from an awful lot of people is that, uh, uh, that, that may not be uh, Lynn's call. So, but uh, but I would think if if it is Lynn's call, uh, I think it would be hard unless there's really really uh, good progress and a really sent a real sense of not just in the record but how the team carries itself, how they compete, how they don't ever give up 34 straight points, the two straight you know the two opponents like they did last year. They can't have those, you know, they can't play down to the opposition. Uh, they got to win the games they're supposed to win and all of those things that they didn't do last year. But uh, so I, I would think if if you have an AD who's sort of gone out on a limb and given you an extra shot, if you don't take advantage of it, you've got a better chance of that guy whacking you than, than somebody else. So I'm not convinced that having uh, Lynn around – is a plus for clay if things don't go well yeah that's uh it's interesting it could go either way where lynn swan basically backed clay helton last year but then it's sort of like well if i'm gonna stick around you have to do way better this year it's like you you know the five and seven has to be much improved where if you brought in a new ad you know maybe it would be a little more lenient you know it's hard to say it, i mean it depends who it are there's a lot of different personalities involved there and stuff but um, but I think both, like Dan said, both are on extremely hot seats and, uh, Clay Helton can turn things around easier than Lynn Swan can. You can't reverse FBI investigations and arrests and things like that. Um, you can reverse five and seven by going 11 and one or something, you know, like you could, you could fix that quickly. Lynn Swan doesn't have that kind of quick fix. Uh, and maybe it would help if, Clay Hilton went out and won 11 games or something, then maybe that would look better for Lin Swan. But everything else doesn't, it, it's, there's no way to like, he'd have to win a whole lot of national championships in other sports this year to make anything look, you know, better than it is. But there's, there's a lot of problems. I don't think you can erase for Lin Swan. Clay Hilton, you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all the legal issues, you know, they're baked in, you know, the varsity blues and the, you know, the basketball, scandals and all of that there's nothing you can do in terms of uh management 
from this point on. They happened. Um, somebody wasn't kind of paying attention. And um, whether those things had started under somebody else, still, uh, you're the guy in charge. And uh, I th- you think you're right. Clay's got a far better opportunity to, you know, to turn it around for himself than, than Lynn does. I think it's really a hard, hard turnaround uh, for Lynn. Now, if they, if they go unbeaten and fill the Coliseum and, uh, for every game, who knows? But uh, short of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a long way off, but we'll see. Uh, what do you got next, Keely? We have two questions from Brian K. Edwards. First one, he says, you mentioned a few times how Coach Greg Burns has really paid attention to detail when coaching the DBs. In your observation, how is he different than that of Ronnie Bradford coaching-wise? I think Ronnie made sort of, at times, suggestions. And they would look at him and say, nah, I don't think so. Uh, they're the one group we get to see, uh, or we got to see, and practice right in front of us. And guys would just, they, they had personalities of guys who just thought, no, I'll do it my way. And you didn't ever get a sense that they were coming to do it Ronnie's way, even when you knew exactly what Ronnie's way was. Whereas Greg Burns, you knew, you know exactly what he wants them to do uh, in terms of, you know, foot placement and hand placement and breaking down, you know, how they want them to control the wide receiver and man and how they want them to turn and how they want them to run with them and all of that. I mean, I could see it, for example, in a Chris Steele who first week or so and getting matched up against these big talented wide receivers was just overwhelmed. I mean, it was really difficult for him as aggressive and as, as, uh, you know, as strong as he wants to play, um, he was put in situations where really, really difficult. And he tended to, you know, commit and grab and push and, and hit early and all of that. And he was getting flagged. And after about a week, he started uh, being able to play all his techniques, but back off just enough so that he was right at that edge where was it too physical or not? It was really close. It was physical, but he wasn't getting the calls against him. And that kind of progress you didn't see in the past. It's just they didn't have the kinds of um, details in terms of their techniques and their fundamentals and, and how they wanted them to do things that they could fall back on. So I mean, you know, we might see with Jack Jones in Arizona State, he just he wasn't exactly coachable. Uh, when he was at USC, he was, he was doing what, what he wanted to do, what he thought was the best thing to do. And he just did it. And he still kept going back out there uh, in games. And I don't think that will happen this year. I think if you decide to go rogue or you're going to do something other than the way they've taught you or the way they want you to do it, you're not going to be out there the next play. I think it's that, it's that simple. Yeah. Brian has a second question for us. He says, if you had to pick your starting USC safeties from the past 20 years, who would you select? Ooh. Well, Troy Polamalu. uh, Troy. Yeah. (laughs) Troy plus. And then, I don't know, if you want, uh, Pete Pete wanted a center fielder uh, who could come up and hit people if he had to, and, and nobody could outrun him. So he picked Taylor Bays and said, Taylor, line up like a, you know, for a short punt and don't let anybody get behind you. 
and, and if you have to come up every once in a while, go ahead and, and crush somebody. But uh, I don't know if that's the direction I'd necessarily go, but I think Taylor got got slammed at times for doing exactly what Pete wanted him to do. And Taylor wasn't exactly a guy that, you know, to play the ball in the air and all that. So they used him uh, for his talents. But I'm trying to think, who would be the next safety? That's a good question. You could go maybe like a Darnell Bing. Uh, you know, he was a uh, you know, big kid out of Long Beach Poly. Um, had, you know, he, he got to wear number, wear number 20. Mike Garrett, when he was the athletic director, let him wear it. Uh, he said as long as he graduated or whatever, he could wear it. And, uh, so yeah, the, I mean, he would, he would probably be, I like, uh, yeah, because he, he started off right away in that, uh, it was, uh, uh, the Auburn game in 2003, where he made the big interception that turned the game immediately in USC's favor. And, um, probably I would think you're right. I think Darnell might be that guy. He had a couple of interceptions too. I th- I saw this on like USC's Instagram story. I think it was there. Or something like that. I believe that's where I saw it. They were looking back at USC Fresno State from 2005. And USC was losing that game 21-10 at halftime, you know, if you don't remember. Oh, yeah. And uh, Darnell Bing had a couple of interceptions. One was returned for a touchdown. I think I called back. Uh, but he played tailback in high school. He always liked to show off, like, how he could run. So he he definitely had some more ball skills than our, our buddy Taylor. But, uh, you know, different different kind of cats. But. Those two, you probably guys, are. Right I, I ran in him. He was at practice last year, and you forgot how big. I mean, you knew how big Taylor was, uh, uh, but uh, Darnell Big Bing was a big guy, yeah. and they had some big athlete, big strong, athletic guys who come through here. Um, so, those are probably our preferences. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the 2003 Auburn game, and we have a question about that. Oh, uh, nine, relevant. Ni- yes. 1977 Trojan says, the 2003 version of the USC football team showed up at Auburn with swagger and confidence because the 2002 team had come off an 11-2 season and a convincing win over Iowa in the Orange Bowl. The 2002 team had Carson Palmer and Troy Palomalu, who were seniors. The 2003 team had Matt Leinert making his first start at quarterback. It was Pete Carroll's third year's head coach. Both offense and defensive lines were excellent. Skill players included Herschel Dennis, Reggie Bush, Lindell White, Mike Williams, Kerry Colbert, Steve Smith, and Dominique Bird. As everyone knows, the 2018 edition went 5-7, and seven, so to hope that the 2019 version will regain the same swagger as the 2003 team that crushed Auburn is wishful thinking. Until the current staff can get the team playing like the 2002 team, it may be some time before the Trojans show up at any away game facing a top-10 opponent with that kind of swagger and confidence. Could it happen this year? We'll find out very quickly with away games at Washington and Notre Dame. Fight on, 1977 Trojan. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I thought, because I was I was down there, and I, I still remember, and I tell this story a lot. Where we're uh, on a Friday night, standing at the corner, like a block from the stadium, and trying to, I was going to do a story with all the local color from Auburn, and standing next to this guy who, for the last twenty years, had his orange and blue VW bus parked right on the corner, and. I didn't realize this. I'm interviewing him. Here comes, uh, after practice, here comes, uh, Auburn, a state trooper car, uh, with Auburn head coach Tommy Tuberville in the car. And he had a tradition. He would stop there and this guy would wish him good luck and all that. And I know 
Tuberville didn't know, have any idea I was a reporter. I was with USC or not, whatever. I was just standing there. And, and the guy says, we're going to really take it to him, coach. We, we've got all these great players and, you know, we're going to get revenge and blah, blah, blah. And Tuberville looked at him and said, I don't think so. He said, they are so much quicker than we, you know, we are that they can, they're just not going to, he said, I, I just don't think they're going to let us play. And this guy gets his look on his face and I'm thinking, Tuberville's pretty smart. And because that USC team, flat out, as many uh, Auburn guys as went to the NFL and a couple of running backs, a quarterback, linebackers, they had uh, just a ton of talent. And I think they got across the 50 yard line once because USC basically took them out of the game. So we're not going to let you play uh, in this game, forced them into, you know, third and long, and they had to throw the ball up for grabs. And um, so, now that team was going with a Matt, a Matt Leinart in his first start with a half. They gave him about a half of a game plan, and they were very, very you know conservative, very cautious, and said we're going to just not let them into the game. And I think that's what has to happen with this team is Clancy has to basically say we've got enough athletes, we're going to turn them loose. We're not going to sit guys like Pala EA on the bench. We're going to get a Drake Jackson in the lineup we're going to you know we're going to run to the football we're going to play fast we're not going to worry about if this we're and we're going to keep it simple enough so that the talent can be on the field uh the young talent and uh and that's what has to happen that's what happened for that game and uh if usc has the swagger i don't think it'll be generated so much by the offense i think the swagger that those USC teams had was generated by their defense and their ability to say, we're not going to let you in the game. And that alone is going to make it, we're going to give ourselves short fields and, and the short fields are going to get us, you know, easier scores. And if that starts to happen, uh, you will see the swagger back. But I, I think the, the defense has to generate that, uh, that swagger. We have a question from Dave from Alaska. Interesting. He says, I've heard Dan Ooh. Weber describe this offense as plug and play and that any of the four quarterbacks could just step in. I don't buy this Polydana analysis. QBs need to lead. I saw the offense play with Spark when JT went out and Matt Fink or Jack Sears came in last year. Which of the four QBs is the best leader and why do you think so? Appreciated Dave from Alaska. Well, I think why you say that, saw that. And those scrimmages, for example, uh, the top three guys in terms of performance in the scrimmages really performed well. I mean, it wasn't, and they're all different, they're all different skill sets, but, uh, but they played well. So it was more based on what have we seen, not so much. And then they have different, obviously different leadership styles completely. Um, where Matt Fink is kind of the traditional, uh, veteran rah rah, let's go you know, get them and, and rally round boys. And, uh, and, and Jack is sort of the, uh, home run hitter, can throw the deep ball or take off with it. And Matt, I mean, uh, uh, JT is kind of the, uh, the analyst that he's tried and he's worked at it, it being more of the rah rah guy, as he admitted yesterday. But, uh, he's more the guy, uh, let me do my thing. I'll just do it really, really well. And, and we'll just keep moving and moving and moving and I'll lead by, uh, by the way I play. And then Keaton kind of had a, a combination of, of all of those, an attitude and an ability to kind of do everything. But, uh, uh, I think 
one of the examples you have from Graham Harrell's past is he had a year, I guess it was last year where, uh, or two years ago, where he had to have three different quarterbacks because of injuries. And not guys that had been highly recruited or whatever. And basically they all uh, succeeded with this offense, that this offense isn't asking you uh, to make a lot of throws that, you know, you're not asked to make a ton of, of deep out throws that, you know, the NFL throw. Uh, and you've got enough opportunities with, with the number of guys running the number of patterns uh, to find the play that you can, you can uh, make work for you. So I think it's a very quarterback friendly offense. So I do think there are some elements that you could say, this is a plug and uh, plug and play offense. And, and Graham has absolutely uh, said that that was the case, that all four of these guys can run his offense. And, and I, I tend to believe that. I think this offense uh, allows that to happen. Uh, I mean, you know, last year you had an offense that nobody could run. So, uh, I mean, the offense really matters. The schemes matter. And, and I, I think, I think Graham, for example, was not a guy gifted with the greatest, uh, arm and, the, you know, the biggest athletic, most athletic body in that. And he still has the record, you know, for the most NCAA, uh, NCAA record for the most uh, touchdown passes in a college career. And I think he understands how you make that work for a guy who isn't a five-star and isn't, you know, one of the guys that everybody in the country is recruiting. And so I think that's what he's done. Polly Dana, interesting made-up words there. So, yes. So he's, Not he, bad. He's giving you the Pollyanna, Dan's a little too optimistic uh, line is what he's suggesting there. I would believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think, I think you would not be optimistic. I mean, how optimistic were we two uh, springs ago when basically we said, I think they ought to call practice off. I'm not sure they can complete a pass. Uh, what's the point? And, you know, I, I don't think anybody disagreed. And they kind of almost did that uh, and said, well, we'll be okay when JT gets here. Uh, but uh, that's not the case now. I mean, that spring, this, excuse me, this fall, you, you've had guys that have really executed well. I mean, really well. It's, I don't think I've ever seen that for four guys i mean you know again it's practice but uh as far as you can measure practice they uh they all perform pretty well we have a uh another voicemail question um if that's okay keely this is uh, a little defensive back stuff a little back defensive back talk we'll uh go with that here you go hey guys this question's for <clears throat> dan keely and ryan and i was just wondering i i know that essentially it will most likely be a cornerback and nickelback by committee uh, for at least the beginning of this year until some people can establish themselves. But if we were going to play a game tomorrow, if USC was going to play a game tomorrow, and you can only have two cornerbacks and one nickelback for the entire game, no cornerback, nickelback by committee situation, who would you guys want as the two corners and nickel based upon what you've seen in spring and summer and fall? and the showcase on Saturday. Fight on, Jason from Longhorn Country. Well, I think uh, Chris has elevated himself, Chris Steele, uh, from one of those spots. Um, I think in their minds, it looks like they may have Isaac Taylor Stewart slightly ahead of Elijah Griffin, who has made 
a lot of the big plays in the um, in in fall. Uh, you know, to ask us to choose between the two without seeing the film and knowing the calls and all that—that uh, that is really hard to do. You look at Isaac Taylor Stewart, and he's six-two, two-zero-five, and he's got tremendous explosiveness. Um, he certainly looks like you would want a big-time uh, athletic corner uh, to be. So, if that's the way it is, uh, that's the way it is. As far as uh, as far as nickel. Um, I kind of, I mean, I kind of like what we've seen at Chase Williams and, and Greg Johnson. Um, they both look like they ought to be good nickel. I mean, they they both look like that's what that's the kind of guy you want because they have the ability to play a couple of positions, and uh, you know, either one of of uh, Greg at, at at corner and and Chase at safety, and and you need that kind of versatility at the nickel. Uh, you go with. Uh, I mean, I'm. I think they're flipping a coin too. So if you ask me to flip a coin, I don't know. Come down with Chase Williams, maybe. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, just from what I saw, I would go Elijah Griffin, Chris Steele, and Chase Williams. Like that's just to my eyes, those look like it would be the best group. But I don't. Know, what do you think, Keely? Yeah, I would probably go with OG over ITS, just because I think. ITS will be there. Whether or not he'll make the play, I haven't seen that enough yeah. from him. I, OG, you at least get some type of something. He's going to make some plays. He's going to make some plays. Now, granted, with that comes that he might swing and miss. You know, there there might be some some blown coverages there. But I think you take that. And Chris Steele, like Dan said, I thought he really made a jump the last couple practices, especially last week of, of what we could see in fall camp. So I think you go with that, even though there might be some growing pains uh, involved with both of them. And then I think Chase Williams kind of has it locked down as far as that, that nickel spot. I ha- I don't think we've seen enough of healthy Greg Johnson at nickel to fully make a full assessment. So I think I would go with what you said, Ryan. Yeah. All right. Thanks. That's interesting, Jason in Longhorn Country. Thanks for the, the voicemail. Um, we have two more questions. One from Don. He says, do you think USC will overcome their reputation as being soft and quitters? Will Fresno State test their toughness? And can Aaron Osmus' influence for toughness surpass Helton's culture of softness? Wow. I mean, they Don. better. They better. <laughs> uh, they will tell you absolutely that that's a thing of the past. Um, it looks like in practice, they do want to go. They want to mix it up. They want to run to the ball. They want to hit people. Um, the first uh, practice and shoulder pads were, it looked like a full padded practice. They certainly did want to, want to hit people. Uh, I think this is, is going to have a different look completely from last year. Practice is, is, looks different. These guys know that they didn't, they, they, pra- they played like they practiced. I mean, it, was, it wasn't their fault the way they practiced. And it wasn't their fault that you know, that they just were run like more like an NFL team, uh, but uh, that hasn't been the case this year. So I think they built up some good habits as far as running to the football and playing physical and hitting people and getting hit. Uh, they might have done it a little bit more than maybe they did, but what they did was a big jump up from a year ago. So uh, we'll give them that. Uh, the guys look like they. Uh, I think that will be a surprise to people. Uh, that they look like they want to hit people and they want to be physical. They want to use their physical ability. And uh, so I think of all the things they have to do, I thought Urban Meyer, watching him on the Fox College show, 
the other day, uh, the preseason one last Saturday, and he's so good at analyzing and, and just saying truths. And he said, I don't think I've ever seen a game where the tougher team didn't win. The tougher team wins. That's who, who we tried to be at Ohio State. And it doesn't seem like it should be that hard for USC to say, our goal is there are two teams out there, and we're going to be the tougher team. I mean, that's the way it was with Pete Carroll. It worked out pretty well. And I think, I think they, they got off track with um, head coaches who were quarterbacks who never hit anybody, never got hit, and wanted to kind of do it a little differently from the way Pete did it. Uh-uh. You've got to be tough. you got to be tougher. And uh, I think that's the key. If they are tougher, they'll be pretty good. But, you know, we haven't seen them in a game yet. Yeah. I would say it's trending in that direction. Like if you would look at some of the key factors of like, ah, are these indicators of the team getting tougher and less soft? Uh, You know, not going to quit. I feel like, yeah, you'd see some of those indicators there, but we're not going to know until it happens. And you might not even know to a few weeks in when you do get some adversity that first time you get punched in the mouth do you collapse on the the canvas or are you going to be able to bounce back so it's not just about coming out of the gate and you you might execute really well and beat fresno state but you know against stanford things might go a little awry and then you have to like uh regroup and uh figure out some other way to win so i i feel like until they face some adversity, it's going to be hard to tell uh, how tough this team really is. I mean, they under Clay, they went to that you know into that Washington game in 2016, and they were so much tougher than a Washington team headed to the playoffs. It was like, whoa, where did that come from? Uh, and there were uh, they beat a Stanford team uh, at the Coliseum, I guess, two years ago. They beat them like you know, beat them like a drama. They just absolutely did everything you could do. Uh, and we didn't see that game again. Um, so that's not enough. Uh, one game probably isn't enough, but, uh, uh, so, which is why I think the way this season starts gives them a chance to prove, you know, are you the tough guys? You know, uh, Fresno State plays like a tough team. That's a big part of their, uh, their persona. Uh, obviously Stanford comes in the next week. BYU has got a reputation of the physical tough guys. Um, and, uh, so you got three straight, uh, challenges to see, can you be the tough team on the field? And, uh, it's a perfect opportunity to show that you can, but you got to show that you are. Yeah, we will see. We have one final question and it's from Mark. He says, do you think you would still hire Kevin Sumlin over Clay Hilton back in 2015? 2015. That's for Ryan. Is that, am I the one that said that? I would assume I mean, so. It sounds like something I would say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to look at hindsight, they just lost to uh, Hawaii. All day long, though, I would take someone who's been a head coach at Houston and Texas A&M over someone that's been a head coach over nobody. So I'm taking the experienced coach who doesn't have anything to do with USC over the interim coach that had no head coaching experience. Now, would Kevin Sullivan be a different beast if he was at USC than Arizona recruiting's different, all that stuff. I think all that's different, but he's not been very good there. He's in a second year and could be on the hot seat. We don't know. Uh, but if I'm the AD back in 2015, yeah, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm hiring Kevin Sublin over Clay Helton. I would say this. If you're, 
if you're struggling at Texas A&M and not able to kind of put it all together, the chances of you going to Arizona and putting it all together are, what are they, you know, slim and none and slim just left down. Yeah. I mean, there's just, it's not going to happen. That's just wishful thinking. I mean, Rich Rod was clearly, a, you know, and he was coming from Michigan and West Virginia and Michigan, and that was a kind of a step. I mean, Arizona is a tough place uh, uh, to survive. They don't, they don't have that many players in the state. They've got another bigger school in the big population center, and the best players in Arizona tend to leave Arizona. I mean, it's really a challenge, and, he, and that's a basketball school. So that he didn't do well there, he wasn't going to do well there. I'm sorry. It's just not going it, it, to It's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm curious to see what, because you could definitely make the argument, Mark, that if you hired Kevin Sumlin, maybe you don't have a five and seven season, but maybe you don't have an exciting Rose Bowl win either. You know, like it's hard to say. It might, it might be a bunch of nine win seasons as opposed to feast or famine. I, I mean, what would he have done with a Sam Darnold? Uh, some people felt he was wasted the last year. Would they have looked tougher against, you know, Ohio State or? or Notre Dame and when they won the Pac-12 in 2017, or would they not even got that? I mean, it's, I think all that stuff is hard to say, but um, is it looking like he's going to be a world beater at Arizona? No. <laughs> I mean, like Dan said, it's a tough place to play. But for my hiring criteria, I would have definitely taken a chance on a guy like Kevin Sumlin over uh, someone with no experience who just happens to be in the building with Clay Helton. That's just Good me. Answer. That's That's me. That's what I would do, um, but you know you can look at. It. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not encouraged. If I'm an Arizona fan, I'm not all that encouraged from what I'm seeing. And uh, that that was a pretty pathetic performance against Hawaii. You know, and I feel like a Noel Mazzoni and and him. I don't. I don't know if that's the greatest fit either. Uh, Khalil Tate looked more Khalil Tatey than he did last year. You know, he, what you know he looked a little better. Um, he had that like Kevin Dyson, whatever near touchdown at the end of the game where he falls a yard short, like, uh, the Titans in the Super Bowl way back when. But, um, yeah, it's just the, the fact that the offensive line just, you know, wasn't, didn't look all that great. The defensive line couldn't get any pressure on Hawaii who gave up like 46 sacks last year. They were rushing three men and just getting picked apart by the run and shoot. It just, it looked like to me, it wasn't didn't look like a well-coached team. Like, I think there's some athletes there. Uh, Schooler's a great linebacker. I mean, they, but, and, you know, Tate's awesome. Uh, J.J. Taylor's awesome. But they, it just didn't look like it was a well-coached team, which is a bad sign, you know. Uh, you don't want to see that. But it, it did look like they weren't all put together. And that's that's what we've seen from a lot of USC teams, to be fair, where it just didn't look like, like there was talent there, but they weren't, it wasn't well put together. And it was a classic week zero game, which I think is unfair to these teams. If you looked at the Miami-Florida uh, game with a whole lot better players and a whole lot better programs, and how many, how many bad things happened in that game where they looked like nobody was coaching either team? Yeah. <laughs> and they just, you know, just stumbled to the finish line. Uh, it was – I mean – and, and unfortunately, it got a really good ra- rating on ESPN, uh, uh, like the best in the last couple of years. So that week zero game is probably going to keep happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, nobody's ready to play week zero, especially in a, a rivalry game like uh, 
uh, you know, Florida, Miami, or in a game where you travel to, uh, travel to Hawaii. I don't think, I, I think that's, that's a mistake, but, uh, you know, somebody's going to win and somebody, and somebody's going to lose and both of them are probably going to look awful. And, uh, that's what happened. So if you're a coach, that's a, that's a tough game to get, you know, get yourself involved in because you're not going to come out looking like you're ready to play. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up uh, for this episode. We got practice a little bit later on, so we'll go check it out, see what's going on. Make sure you tune in. Uh, we'll have, like I said, a Fresno State more in-depth, detailed preview with Jackson Moore uh, coming up on Thursday. We'll have Family Feud likely going up Friday. Is that true, Keely? Yes. yes. And uh, we're going to have our live show Thursday afternoon at noon. Uh, with Keeley, Shotgun, and myself. So we're going to move it up a little bit. There's a lot of cool games to watch. Just this week. Yeah, just this week. We're normally going to do Thursday evenings, but if you you know, you know like the Pac-12, UCLA is going to be on the road taking on Cincinnati. Uh, they are not a favorite in that game. Kent State will be at Arizona State, so if you want to see Jaden Daniels get his first start, that would be kind of interesting. Kent State's terrible, but you want to see Jaden Daniels and what ASU looks like. And then the big one, Utah uh, at BYU, where USC will be in a couple of weeks. So this is all on Thursday night. You need to be watching some college football and get ready. Three USC opponents going on uh, on Thursday night. And a couple more on Friday. Well, actually, no, uh, just one more on Friday. Uh, Oregon State, USC doesn't play Oregon State. But o- Oklahoma State is going to be at Oregon State on Friday night. So um, you don't have to worry about that one, but. You know, still good to watch. Them. Yeah, Colorado State, yeah. Colorado would be good on Friday night too. And then uh, finishing up the weekend on Monday, Notre Dame is at Louisville, so uh, uh, you can watch another another USC opponent on uh, on Labor Day. So uh, going to be good. Although I just saw a, a note that Louisville has only one player uh, heavier than two hundred and fifty five pounds starting on defense. Holy wow! Crimey. <laughs> They're at home, but I, one would think Notre Dame may just grind them up into little pieces. Uh, but I've never heard of that in modern football. That, yeah. Uh, a team, one player out of 11 on, on their defensive starting lineup that's uh, over 255 pounds. So That sounds like Howard Jones era stuff. You know, like this is like leather helmets kind of time when they would be that. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of it. So uh, it'll, it'll be kind of an interesting game. New coach at Louisville. Uh, who knows? what's going to happen but uh it should be a fun weekend looking forward to it oh yeah a lot of football week zero i mean was football it's sort of like it's pizza like even if it's bad pizza it's still pizza you hadn't had pizza for nine months you you wanted that some of that pizza that week zero pizza now you're going to get a ton of week one you know there'll be good bad everything you'll you have a smorgasbord of pizza to uh devour so uh i'm looking forward to that Thanks uh, so much to Keeley. Thanks so much to Dan. And thanks to all of you out there for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Like I said, tell a friend. Let them know, hey, you want to know more about USC football? Flip on the Peristyle Podcast. You'll get a good idea of what's going on. So thanks so much for tuning in. We're going into our 12th season covering the Trojans here on the Peristyle Podcast, which is absolutely crazy. But looking forward to it very much. Thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. 
This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.